Hello and welcome. I'm Dr. Joanna Bucknell and you are listening to episode 11 of Tate. That's T-A-I-T, which is short for Talking About Immersive Theatre. In this podcast series, I go out and about to chat to immersive theatre makers, practitioners, performers and other arts industry professionals to talk about the work that they do. I usually visit them in their own performance spaces and places just to get a feel for the scene that they're creating and the atmosphere that they work within. So let's just get straight into it. Uh, So I'm here at Rosebury for College with Lab Collective to talk about the immersive performance work that they do. Um, So Lab Collective has been working, please correct me if I get any details incorrect here, um, from what I can tell since 2010, is that correct? 2008 really, Okay. but in in the kind of interactive immersive form, 2010. Perfect, and it's made up of Joe Thorpe, Natalie Scott, Neil Connolly, Amy Fleming and Antigone Spanu. And Joe Idale, who is our latest recruit, but he's on the website. I was going to say, I got my information from the website, (laughs) so would you like to just introduce yourself again? I am Joe, and I like an air of mystery sometimes too. (laughs) (laughs) So just Joe is fine, that means there's quite a few Joes here. (laughs) You can can call me uh, (laughs) non-Jojo. Non-Jojo, and we even spell it the same because I put an E on mine, so... Oh, brilliant. (laughs) Just because I think with an O, it looks really unfinished. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's one of my pet hates. <laughs> yeah. And people never do it. They just put J-O because they assume because I'm a girl, I don't have the E. But I'm like, I want the E. Mm. <laughs> a lot of people presume I'm a girl, I think, because they don't, never put the E in. Really? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So um, on your website, you suggest that you make visceral experiences that are and there are two strands to your work, basically. So experience-led installation and socially relevant performance. So could you talk a little bit about those two strands and kind of the way you see them kind of different, if that makes sense? Well, I think it's actually we've started to kind of merge them again, put them back together again. But I think originally we were doing a lot of work in gallery spaces and being commissioned in that way. So we were trying to play with interactivity in terms of a one-on-one basis. Yeah. Um, sometimes that subject matter was socially relevant, mm-hmm. but sometimes it wasn't. Um, and we had these larger pieces which were had elements of interactivity, but we were trying to ask questions of the audience in terms of what their political motives were. Mm-hmm. So we've kind of started to try and figure out a way we can fold those two together. I think also the way that people commission, so like the the experience-based work is, is much more festival-based yeah. or much more, like one-on-one performance is very difficult to programme and commission when it's not part of a festival. Absolutely. And actually that started becoming <clears throat> like a real strand within the work where we'd be commissioned to do smaller scale one-on-one installations. Yeah. Uh, that weren't necessarily consistently transferable um, and, and were quite bespoke depending yes, on where we took yeah. them whereas the larger scale socially relevant work tends to sit within other sites and maybe for a greater duration so maybe for three weeks yeah. uh, maybe for six in the case of uh, like Matador and Bolpen mm-hmm. and, and that was actually where we really noticed the difference mm-hmm. was it, you know in terms of how we were being commissioned and programmed it was quite distinct in terms of what people wanted and it's actually really nice to be able to do festival work where you can do that smaller scale intimate stuff Mm -hmm. uh, without it compromising obviously in terms of like actual like the nuts and bolts of budgeting and Mm. things like that it's not a sustainable (coughs) form no it's not as a standalone thing Mm. and that's really where the two strands came from and yeah we're, we're starting to amalgamate them more as the scale of our work grows yeah so as the sites that we work in get bigger, we're able to then implant the experience-led work within the, within the wider experience. Well, it's a huge challenge, isn't it? And we have the same problem with our work because we do um, one-on-one work mostly, but it's not. It's really challenging to be sustainable because, mm. of course, theatres want bums on seats, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. or numbers at least. And of course, when you're doing one-on-one, and also it's... We did a piece recently and only 12 people saw it, but there was a queue of another 20, 30 because it was a free event, it wasn't ticketed. Mm. And so you have to let all those people down. down. And that is so challenging. And I think this has become a real kind of difficulty of how do you keep the integrity of that kind of small, intimate, experience-based work when theatres just are not in a position Mm. to sustain it. And I think you're right, we've seen it grow up out of very particular festivals as well and very particular contexts. I think as theatre diversifies as well, buildings that weren't originally intended for performance mm. are now more willing to think about the deconstruction of their spaces. Yeah. And the more that happens, the more one-on-one work 
can be produced. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's hugely exciting. I think theatres do need to really sort of step up their game yeah. in terms of, you know, thinking about wider forms. Mm-hmm. And that is inclusive of installation, one-on-one, or bigger interactive and immersive Well, there's pieces. an appetite for it as well. This is what's yeah, so frustrating as a practitioner, because you're kind of like, there's a huge appetite for this with the general public, as well as with kind of the, the traditional arts community. Mm-hmm. And it is finding those spaces. And a lot of it isn't even about... I mean, I can't remember the last time I made a piece of work that happened inside an actual theatre building or mm. space that was <laughs> specifically designed to hold theatre. 2007. I think there's huge alone. resistance to yeah. it. Because yeah. you know, even if you look at recently Emma Rice and the Globe and you look at um, you know, the RSC and their new, uh, uh, the new sort of video mapping that's replacing a character, yeah. you know, there's this huge resistance amongst conventional theatre goers and actually it stops the diversity of the audiences. Yes, that's exactly what it does. Because this kind of work when it sits in those communities that mm-hmm. don't, aren't traditionally, you know, maybe people don't go to the theatre a lot or maybe it's mm-hmm. a totally different demographic, mm-hmm. suddenly you chop off a huge proportion of your audience that you might be able to capture. The exactly. So, yeah, the social and economic class of the performer as well has changed. So actually yes, like this, this, instead of it being a grander or, or like a, an old arts form of of tradition, no, there's mm-hmm. there's more to play with and barriers to be mm-hmm. broken with. Well, new blood and new lease of life. Well, it comes much more, and I think what this kind of work often taps into as well as new audiences that are interested in gaming and interested mm. in game and play yeah, and sure. all of that kind of stuff. And I think by big theatres and traditional spaces kind of not engaging with that, you're exactly right. They're missing out on kind of much more diverse audiences mm. and audiences who would not normally come to the theatre for something else, but might come for come for this mm. and you don't even need to use their big spaces I mean often you know especially with one-on-ones or things that are headphone based or walking based you can just use you just need somewhere to begin from mm. usually and that can be a tiny space a foyer a cafe a toy- toilet yeah. <laughs> I mean I think you you will probably know more about this but the Battersea Arts Centre is particularly yeah. good yeah the that. whole building's licensed for performance yeah literally and every single person I have spoken to has mentioned Battersea Art it's yeah. so yeah. interesting that it's this real locus they for really change. embrace it so they mm. Punch Trump's um, mm. Mask of the Red Death was there and yeah. that was like a really early iteration of us seeing uh, you know interactive and immersive work in a in a theatre space yeah, yeah. and then they've kind of followed on from that with the one-on-one festival they're making you know, yeah. kind of more game-based London stuff. stories yeah. London stories and migrant stories yeah um, and they're really open to embracing that and they use all their spaces as well they yeah. always make all of it available and often you've got maybe more than one thing happening and I think that's the future because that is sustainable if you can have four or five events going on in an afternoon or an evening then of course, mm. Bush Bazaar was But there was like, for instance, you know, the cabaret event and nightlife nightlife world is starting to embrace more yes. interactivity. Yes. Like companies of people that used to just do um, like visual walkabout is now turning to be more interactive. Yeah. Um, and they were starting to build little spaces within the main event in order yeah. to facilitate these things. Um, and that's that's exciting. The same things happen with Greenfield festivals, you know, um, actually building tents or areas, performance areas for, yeah. for performance to, to, really to occur. Um, but also, like, huge that allows your audience to have a huge amount of diverse audience coming oh, through. Project, there. It's a completely different audience. Yeah, suddenly you can, you can access yeah. 4,000 people yeah. um, to see some of your work throughout the weekend. So, like, that's this is really, this really, is really exciting. And most of those have never aimed and may not even stepped in a theatre. It takes away that elitism a yeah. little bit yeah, too, yeah, doesn't yeah. it? Which I think is really exciting. They have no preconceptions. No. So the joy of having a, a festival audience and a Greenfield festival audience is that they have no preconceptions of what they're walking into. It's not built in the same no. way. So like we do a lot of work for Boomtown. Um, and what's really interesting is that it's an expectation that it is one large square mile immersive event where mm. nothing is like... Nothing is not allowed, and mm-hmm. therefore, in some ways, they don't feel the need to test yeah. the boundaries as much. Mm. Yes. And they're great players. Oh, such great players. best players. <laughs> and in that world, it gives us a bit of anonymity to yeah. try something new as well, because yeah. it is a, like a, a, a blanket that we're working under as, as one major project of creating a, a yeah. town or a city. Mm. So talking about space actually takes me very nicely to my next question. So you're based at the Fly Pit Stanley Hall um, alongside Nomad Creative Studios, is that yeah, correct? So right. can you tell us a bit about that space and what it is that you're 
you're, you're doing that. Mm. So I think um, it's, it's an odd little space. <laughs> so it's underneath the stage and it used to be um, the old, the old flag bits of bringing up the sets through the, through the back of the stage and such. Um, and when we saw it, it was a bit of a story and we decided to work with Hannah and try and look at the ideas of collaboration. How can two companies that are really kind of quite separate yeah. work together to try and build something? Um, the head of Nomad Creative Studios. Great. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, and um, what we decided to do is that we want to see if we could use that space to benefit lots of different practices. Okay. And it just happens that we've been working a lot more of interactive uh, work, uh, giving space for interactive installations. Um, we do a couple of events, like an event called a Lighthouse, which is a way for artists to share work rather than to be judging work. Okay. Um, and also like giving space for workshops, like Daniel, Daniel Cunningham. Mm-hmm. Um, he's doing some workshops down there, which are quite interactive in its basis. And it's just sort of like a bit of a home for many people that we work with. Okay. Um, and we're just trying to open up that, that pool of people. Because a lot of the people we work with, we end up sticking with for a long, long, long time. Um, yeah. in a, and community building, almost, of artists is something okay. that's really strong. So it's kind of like becoming a sort of creative lab, I guess. Where yeah, <coughs> I think that's, and that, you know, that's something where we all, that's how we started. It was yeah. as kind of, yeah, a, a lab-based ethos. Down, down like there, literally <laughs> down in one of the rooms on the opposite side of this building. <laughs> We used to hold weekly sessions where people would um, performers would come to the sessions with a question that they would want to explore, and they had a series of exercises to test. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, it was it was a really kind of interesting thing. And actually, it kind of feels like we've we're starting to come back round full circle, but from a slightly more mature and from a slightly more also developed place where we we know what we're offering and why why we're offering that. The Lighthouse events are really interesting because they're quarterly, so they're every okay. every three months, and um, we it kind of enables um, makers to have access to more alternative spaces. Yeah. So you can use the mezzanine, you can use the tunnels that run around the side of the stage, okay. you can use a little main bit. Maybe There's a outside. nice little place outside, mm. you know. So it offers a bit more diversity mm. away from a traditional scratch, mm. so or, to speak. Or mm. you're able to pitch an element of the show so for instance yeah. Def- Difference Engine came in and explained the game mechanics of their show okay. and like how this particular mechanic was going to work within the, yeah. the whole immersive piece mm. and demonstrated how that could work and that was actually yeah. really interesting so it's almost like a mixture of a TED talk and an so, art yeah. installation and a performance pres- presentation and discussion mm. Mm. so like, like Joe's performing uh, a piece there in January scratching an idea Oh, excellent. Yeah. Do you want to talk a bit about that, or is it a secret? Um, I don't mind. It's a friend of mine, Tim. Uh, he's put it on the show, and it's the market research into, uh, I think it's going to be a two-year campaign of, so, uh, of um, on a campaign called Are You Buying This? And he's creating a conscious consumer group. Uh, and just, uh, so it will be, yeah, he'll be there. I'll be taking people's information and... Um, um, calling on their duties over the next couple of years uh, to see to, to to fight a campaign that I don't think is even relevant yet, but I feel like it could. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's always the best place to be, right at the beginning of something, yeah, yeah. Or, or the cause of something, I yeah. think. And if you kind of think what's really good about like you putting it in somewhere like the Lighthouse is you can choose how you want feedback delivered. Okay. So like it doesn't, it's not like here's a bit of paper, fill it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there is opportunity to define how you want feedback to be managed right. so whether it is about you know yeah do you fill out a form or do we hand do we you know do we you just mingle in the break times and and collect feedback or is it feedback direct mm. after what, what it is that you've we've done had, we've had so quite a much few more dialect yeah there's lots of people, people writing stuff on paper and chucking it at people mm. on stage and that's how oh, they great. Done, yeah. yeah i love that <laughs> <laughs> it's much better than ideas. And I think it's really important in the kind of work that we make to have that opportunity to diversify in terms of feedback because it takes some people uh, time to process. It takes other people, they just want that immediate kind of, what's your immediate reaction? I find that that really hard. I often need the Mm. time to just kind of take a few minutes and think about it or or longer than a few minutes sometimes. Sometimes, you know, it takes months for something to kind of realise how it's impacted on you or how you've thought about it. The best advice or messages in life take years and years to unravel themselves. Mm. Like things that people told me at university, I'm still like, 
understanding more and more every day. Absolutely. And like a good piece of theatre, yeah. when that decision comes in a couple of weeks or months, you go, oh, oh my God, I get what they were talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. That's the kind, kind of, of moment I always try to strive to make. Yeah, and yeah. I find it really hard to instantly... And um, as a lecturer, I have to do that a lot with students as well. They want kind of instant formative yeah. feedback, and you're kind of like, "What did you think?" <laughs> I just yeah. need a minute. To let, at least a minute. To let the MTV that, McDonald's Nation. Yeah, to let that wash over me or sink in, or to to feel it. Because initially, some things can be, especially if they are powerful or overwhelming. You're like, I need some time to let this kind of mm. come in and let me actually think about it. Well, I want to feel it for the resonate. Yeah, I want it to resonate first before I have to then articulate it in a kind of sentence and something that is useful to you, yeah, <laughs> basically. Um, so I wanted to just talk a little bit about your early work. So as you said, you kind of began in about 2008, but started making interactive work in 2010. And um, from what I can gather, uh, some of your early work is Snatching Threads, Unseen, Bullpen, Matador, and Fields of Tinder. Mm. And I wondered if you could... <laughs> obviously, you don't have to talk about all of them, but they all kind of happened quite quickly. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if you could talk about that sort of period of your work and what you think might define it and what was... <laughs> exciting like a couple of years where we were still searching for our identity yeah. as, as makers um and i think that you know especially kind of master bullpen for us was really like mm. the first album yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we really that, that was the first kind of yeah breakthrough for us to go actually oh this is fun this mm -hmm. is fun stuff is actually like um, snatching threads. Yeah, it wasn't interactive. It wasn't interactive in a theatre space. We worked for a long time up in Nottingham. Nottingham, but it, it mm -hmm. uh, up there. And we worked for a long, long time trying to build this kind of crazy, dis discordant, kind of chaotic mess of images <laughs> um, to sort of try and tell some sort of meaning. And it was more socially relevant. But when we, we did that show, and actually we did it at the Roundhouse. Um, for a while. That's a different show, James. Circuits of Love. That's a different show, mate. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. Circuits of Love. <laughs> that's, um, I think you should go again. That's Bad Neighbours. Yeah, that's no, Snatching Threads. Snatching Threads is the one with Claire Bowden. Oh, sorry about this. <laughs> this, is the, this is the lovely thing, though, isn't it? It's actually the way that memory is fallible and actually the way our practices mm. kind of slip and evade it's us. Because we've grown so far yeah, away from it. Of course. It. Of course. I don't know, oh, I don't no, know if you can hear it. Can you hear that? Can you hear that? I guess you always come from one angle and it always developed yeah. and you just, yeah. you just say it, there's, it's, there's several yeah. stories in the world. Snatching so, Threads so, so, was about, was about um, our concept of success. It was, just, okay. it was on at, the, uh, the new diorama. Um, and again, it was, uh, we were kind of exploring kind of postmodernism and physical theatre. Mm -hmm. um, and it was interesting, but ultimately, like that work no longer excited us it was a practice that we'd taken away from drama school and identified with but actually was no longer fulfilling or no longer sort of activating for us as artists mm -hmm. and actually as a, you know I, with a, I performed in it and then that was the last show I've ever done yeah. um, because there was this recognition that actually it, you know we need to grow away from this and find our own form so the first kind of really interactive work we made was Bullpen and Matador mm -hmm. yeah. as part of Theatre Souk um, in Picton Place. Yeah. And it was, a it was a really exciting time for us because we were still at that point where everything was just so brand new mm. um, and there were no rules. And it was felt like the, the Souk was like a theatrical marketplace and it was all about commodity and exchange. Uh -huh. And Joe also did a show there called Half Cut with the company Half Cut uh -huh. that he was a founder and maker of. Um, and it was a time where it was just, it was so exciting. Yeah, there were so many different people that we were just suddenly bumping into and actually a lot of those people we worked with for the next three, four years. Mm -hmm. um, and some of them we kind of poached like, like Joe. But like, um, you know, Matador, <laughs> Matador <laughs> and Ballpen were both revolved around this money idea. Um, so Matador was looking at uh, the perspective of a, of a banker and you go into a room, it's a very tiny room, and the stage is about a metre and a half, two metre circle. Oh, and the audience are asked at the beginning to put their toe on the line. And the idea is throughout it, he talks about how we are all responsible for different elements of the crash, mm -hmm. and how, why are we blaming this particular type of person, mm -hmm. when actually we've all got credit cards, we've all got yeah, debt, yeah. You know, this. Yeah. and the idea was that by the end of the piece, usually one person had their toe on the line left out of everybody else. Mm 
and that person came into the circle and was trained to become the new matador. Mm-hmm. Um, and that piece became really successful. I mean, we ended up touring that over to, to Latitude, we went to Brighton, um, which was really lovely. And the other piece, Bullpen, is actually a game that people still mention to us now, which is based on Liars Poker, which is an old game which we played in the 80s on the stock exchange and people used to not only move in power up a company through this game they also would lose a lot of money so you would put huge amounts of money onto the table and bet on the serial numbers of a dollar bill that you were holding Mm -hmm. so we created um, (laughs) two teams of people three performers each each one had a different structure depending on who they're battling with or against okay. and whether they won or lost changed the author of the outcome. So it's the yeah. first time that we started looking yeah. into flowcharts. And into games. And mm. the real, the kind of, you know, the audience, obviously they can't bet with money. So when they approach the room, we'd be there sort of, you know, drawing people in. Uh, they would, we'd ask them to write down their most precious thing. And it might be their health or their children, or it might be an object or something yeah, they yeah. spent a lot of money on. And it would be about how willing are you to throw that, throw that in. into the ring. And some people mm-hmm. are really superstitious as well. Yeah, they are. So, you know, playing with things like your health of your children or um, <laughs> or your career yeah. or, you know, actually becomes a, a, a real ethical question. Yeah. But people, it's amazing. Like, but it's also amazing how freely people do it as yeah. well once mm. they're in that moment. Yeah. Once mm. they're warm and they're in that kind of heated space, they're, they're just like, yeah. Fuck it, rah! <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. just do it. I'm just gonna, and it, you know, it's that kind of throwaway. It mm. kind of really amplified that kind of throwaway culture for us. And people would come out and go, oh my God, I've just given it away. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> so because like, we couldn't write a script for it at all, yeah. um, we were trying to figure out a way of doing it, and we came up with this kind of. You know, the experience was less than ten minutes long, but mm. I think the actual book was about in a half a centimeter thick of just mm. like these different possibilities all these different flow charts and mm-hmm. these different ways in which you could connect so it was like it was really fun to explore that idea mm-hmm. of trees and like how these structures can grow well this is the thing about this kind of work isn't it is the mechanic is what you kind of have to trust as the makers and as the performers often mm-hmm. and as the audience once you kind of say yes okay I'll play with you that mechanic is is what drives it isn't it is what everyone actually trusts in mm-hmm. rather than often narrative and character but actually it's that mechanic and understanding and, and engaging in that but I think there is and I don't know if you've kind of found this and you've talked a little bit about it um, as soon as people get in a group they either get a group mentality or as soon as they get anonymity mm. do you find that people behave in, in mm. ways that yeah. they probably wouldn't normally yeah. so we use um, a lot of uh, a lot of kind of group psychology mm. in our process and in in looking at how we can determine an outcome and therefore what that mechanic should be. Mm-hmm. So we looked a lot into things like psychology of the supermarket, so how things, products are arranged on shelves mm-hmm. and where people look. Mm-hmm. And then once people, you know, when you're turning a corner with your trolley, the most the things that they want you to see and, and buy, 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 yeah. because you have to slow down, will always be on that right-hand facing. Mm-hmm. There's always an offer of biscuits next to the tea. Yeah. yeah, so we yeah. look at we look at things like that. We look at herd mentality. We look at conformity. Mm. Um, things like the Zimbardo experiment. Um, um, a lot of a lot of things of core desire. Um, we've been playing a lot, especially with the show we've just been watching, um, about how we can really play with a with a group of people to push them into sort of places mm. that maybe they don't really want to go. Yeah. But by suggesting little things, by pushing them in the right directions that we want them to kind of play so with. Joe did a great exercise on core desires about tapping into the core, yeah, the core drivers of people like love, sex, loneliness, um, money, all of those things, and and that really fed into to the piece dramatically. Mm. So looking at a level, so it was the idea of a good, good teacher, bad teacher. Mm. Yeah. Good exercise of just establishing the rule without establishing it as an like mm-hmm. authoritative figure, yeah. and then they you already write the rules in your head that you can change that, and then they they have to change it as well. Mm-hmm. I, I'm obsessed like 
an authoritative figure doesn't also have to have authority. I'm obsessed with like the shop attendant. The shop attendant is perfect because yes. you have put trust into them and they, they, they talk to you and listen to all your needs and what you want mm -hmm. and then they show you this product and you go, oh yeah, and they go, it's this price, it's in the budget you said and you, you said you wanted all these things and you like it yeah. and then they get you to the checkout and you part <laughs> of your money and you're like, are you happy? And you go, yes, I'm happy. Yes, and they I'm go, happy. I'm happy and everyone's happy. <laughs> We've got you from A to B and you feel like you've driven the situation. But, but they just wanted, they just, you wanted to buy nice jeans they wanted to they wanted you, to sell them. flog you something yeah you know but, but everyone's happy mm. but it's a completely different pathway to get there yeah, yeah. we look at sales a lot as well kind mm. of sales structure of how uh, it sales uh, sales people look at obstacles in particular and overcoming obstacles I used to work in a call center yeah. I used to manage a call <laughs> <laughs> there I used to manage a call center <laughs> windows and for Kirby yeah. so yeah. I know all of that yeah. so that sales structure <laughs> is really key because actually you know even though performatively you're portraying something and you're giving it I mean the challenge is having that structure but equally placing meaning mm. onto it and mm. the, then kind of characterization and all of those things creates a really complex yeah. structure and you might actually be working with three or four structures simultaneously yeah, yeah. you know so it, you know being quite analytical about that has been really useful for us in terms of developing a strong understanding of audience experience well, the ethics that work through that as well because one I, th I remind myself sometimes when when you have a hard day when you think it's not a call center and the one thing I don't think I could do anymore is that because the ethical difficulties that I used to feel then as well, and I think I'm not sure I could even go back and do that now, considering I kind of make work that is about inviting people and welcoming people and <laughs> putting people but at there's ease. There's an element of consent. It's so difficult, yeah. And like, I used to work for actually the same cool company that Joe did. And you know, I was put on the Barclay card department. So you were in this like glass room and you had to leave all of your electrical equipment outside. Oh and goodness. you were asked basically to upsell credit yeah. to people. So they would be transferring their credit. I could do I made it for eight hours. Yeah, and then I left that company and I never came and back. Or mm. having to speak to like older, vulnerable people and yeah. like keep going, keep going with the script, sell it, sell it, sell mm. it, and but kind of eat you alive as a person. And all the trees, you know, kind of like, the f they say something to you and you flip to that page and then mm. you have all your list of obstacles in which to overcome and exactly. persuade them. And you're like, what am I doing? Yeah, <laughs> it's all deceit. It's all deceit. You're yeah. all just lying to people to get to so your next deceitful. lead. You know, I mean, the the day, intent behind the deceit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's, that's exactly. And actually, if it, if if we did these interactions without essentially trying to drive a meaning or a product, which is our which is our product, is the meaning. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's just a, a wayward conversation. You know, but so I think what gives it and what gives it ethics intrinsically is by putting the frame of performance around it because the mm. moment you call it theatre or you call it performance you're being honest I even though it's all about my thesis and it's about representation actually just by calling it theatre or calling it performance I think there's an honesty in that by saying we are playing mm. we are going to play we might play at the edges and we might play with things that are dangerous and that frighten you but we are playing and so there's an honest I think there's an honesty it's yeah. the performative honesty, I think. Yeah. And that's what like fascinates me most about kind of like this work where yeah. you have to put across your message, but it's all about the care that you take with the audience. Yeah. Joe has a great kind of say that it's not just about a duty of care. Yeah, you have a duty mm, to care. To absolutely. Yeah, it's a Russell, um, same thing we went to yeah, see. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that Russell, really struck me. And yeah, it's and Russell was stood there and he was so just like, strongly. you know, there's duty duty of care and then there's a duty to, to care. care. And mm. I and the, the the sort of ethics work that he does is unbelievable. I know. That's really. since um, Exeter that has stuck yeah, with me so strongly. Um, it, we I was gonna say this later on, but we some of us met at um, a conference <laughs> in Exeter and um, it was about audience and yeah, so it's about um, so it was in, was it interaction? Uh, the whole participation, participation, yeah, interaction. participation, interaction, and yeah. his particular section was about the ethics of participation and interactive, and it, a lot of his work was you know came from a really historical place, yeah, uh, which was fascinating because I think we do have a tendency to think that everything we do is new, and I'm really conscious that actually everything we do is an amalgamation of things that are quite old. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I say this all the time. It's not a brand new thing. No, it's no, no, people at all. Are and actually, we're we're fooled by the Victorians into thinking theatre has mm. always been us sat in the dark on velvet seats watching yeah. other people do things. Mm. Of course, it absolutely. That's the smallest moment. It's yeah. just that's stayed dominant and stuck with us. Yeah. Mm. But 
early earlier forms of fear were not like that. Exactly, and so yeah. Russell Russell Anderson he says like this idea that we can sort of look backwards and sort of understand that our audiences are in a contract, yeah. but we have to be able to offer that extended contract of like, yeah. is this okay? Can I do this? You know. Almost the same there, can I hold your hand is just the same as mine. Like that first invitation of like, I'm going to touch you. But invitation, consent, invitation, yeah. consent yeah. all the way through. And, it's, and there's something really ethical about that. And there's something really honest about that, I think. And, and it's not always verbal. No. Yes. As no. I think, Joe, you talk about the, the earning, earning consent. Yeah, earning yeah, the absolutely. right to, to touch someone. But then you can also abuse your power and touch someone without touching them. You know, like stand yeah. here and slightly move them rather than... Mm grabbing them and moving them. Mm. So you could, there's the, the, the boundaries of that. Like with the idea of, um, uh, which Russell was talking about here, mm. it's the idea of um, the audience being a protagonist. And with really, I, the idea that if the audience aren't there and not fueling anything, your, your piece should be two minutes yeah. With, yeah. with the interaction and actually them fueling and it makes it more relevant to them. And then without the audience, Literally, your installation should be a minute or two, but with the audience, it should well, be 10 because of the relation. I was doing some reading, and apparently, it takes four minutes to generate intimacy through eye contact mm. in kind of everyday kind of situations. Oh, I can get into an eye. And I thought, <laughs> <laughs> I thought to myself, in a performative frame, when you have because it's condensed, isn't it? Yeah. Everything feels. It's an uber reality. Yes, it is theater. uber. Everything is, is more and more exposed, and I think you can actually sometimes you can do it with a look. Yeah. In a performance, you can do it with the extension of hand, you can do it with the tilt of your head, and I think that it's exactly that, isn't it? But it's the, the way you couch or you offer the invitation that can, because I've been to shows where it's been done in really dangerous ways that are completely unethical, and I felt very... Well, the, the structures, or the, the, structures or the journey you've got to that, to that invitation of yes, the transaction yeah. as well, it's, there's loads of, within the piece we've just... Uh, which you've just seen as well. Yeah. It's a series of subtleties that suggest an idea, but actually you pick up on whichever ones are relevant to you or resonate yeah. with you. Yeah, and absolutely. the other ones might do it in a week or two, we hope. <laughs> and it's mechanic, isn't it? And it's, it's mechanic and structure mm. that creates that the way of being able to couch those invitations mm. and to be able to continue and to pull people further and further into those things. Mm. And I think that's also what gives people potentially permission as well so one of the dangers that comes with this kind of work as well is that when you make an invitation or you make that offer you have no control over how those people potentially might respond mm -hmm. have you had an experience where the audience have just behaved in ways you absolutely could never have possibly anticipated or done things where you're just like oh god there's a couple, of, a couple of ones yeah but I think it's like they've actually by doing so highlighted something quite fun um, so we were doing an installation at Boomtown and okay. um, <laughs> <laughs> and this, we were playing a game where we were playing a big game of poker. It was all about sp finding spies within this little room. And this guy was dressed up as a, as a as a pirate. And right in the middle of it, he stood up, pulled his guns out like this, like fake pushed, guns. pushed, pushed fake, fake guns, pushed his chair back, and was like, "Right, that's it. I've had enough of this. Right, who is it? Who is it? Which one is it?" And he took the end of this standoff <laughs> going oh off God. inside the room. And actually what it created was this really fun moment of like, like how do we deal with this <laughs> with this guy? But he was so invested in it yeah. that he played, kind of played within the games, the rules of the but game. But what our structure allowed us to do was to run to the exit contingency. So the okay. way that we work with uh, flowcharts, we use feedback and non-feedback loops yeah. quite a lot, but there's always an exit contingency. And yeah. so we could allow it to play out for as long as we wanted. Because, because you have a we way. Had yeah. the but, way out. But under the table, we, we all had, like, weapons. Uh, weapons. <laughs> um, so at, at any point, we just got unclicked them, and, like, all of us suddenly went ka-clonk and placed these, like, crowbars. <laughs> so, you know, all on the table, and suddenly these little plastic guns look a little bit weak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what are you going to do now? Yeah. Yeah. I think we've had, we've had one which was, again, on Matador, where um, the last section where, the chart, where we figure out who's going to be the the new matador and um we asked the audience who wants to do it and nobody put their hand up <laughs> and this 12 year old boy put his hand up oh. and neil the performer was like okay i'm just going to ignore that one for a little bit see if anyone else no fine 
took the 12-year-old boy and actually having oh. this 12-year-old boy being trained to be the next banker was the, was an image that we would never have been, never conceived in, in rehearsal because we never thought it would happen. Yeah. And actually that was one of the strongest endings that show had ever had. I mean, that, there was a moment where we were all looking at his parents going... You're alone with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is this and okay? Is this jacket. okay? Yeah. And they kind of pushed him down the stairs, like, yeah, go, go on, do it. And I was like, oh my god. But it was, it was, it was an amazing and brutal ending mm. because there's this little boy. He's younger. He was like seven or eight. Mm. He was really young. And it was that kind of this is the next generation. Yeah. This is the next generation of bankers. And do you know what? That was the only venue that we've done in which. There wasn't the ability for us to for everyone to have their toes on the line, mm. oh. and that was the first time I had it. But we've also had ones where like um, Neil got a pint thrown over him. Yeah, I had a pint, a few pints thrown over people. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, but we've also started to work in ideas of um, disruptive and destructive audiences and how to yeah. deal with them. Yeah. So we've been looking at ideas of like special treatments. How do you make somebody? Uh, who's being disruptive suddenly be the standout that makes them shut down. So we use a lot of yeah. child behavioural psychology, yeah. which, so kind of creating, I know it sounds ridiculous, but we call it special audience member. So it's the praise, rule, ignore yeah. uh, technique that you often see used in primary schools. Yes. So you take the negative behaviour, say for example, they're arguing with you over what colour wristband they have. Um, and, you know, they're like, why, why have I got this one? Why can't I have that one? It's like, this one's a special one. This one gets you more places. Actually, you're really brave. You're really brave. <laughs> you love curious people here. Maybe you should come with me. Stick close. And suddenly, they're, actually, they're that negative behaviour has been turned into yeah. something mm. positive and then actions to diffuse the situation yeah. could, could cause problems. Yeah. And it's yeah. catching it before it becomes disrupt, uh, dis disruptive. disruptive. And yeah. in, in our disruptive elements, you know, we, we always employ an idea of a pit boss. Mm. somebody who is of authority so it might be one of us it might be an yeah. assistant who is in character in world yeah. who has an authority within that world okay. who can then pull people away in world or twist and come out of world yeah. mm -hmm. so for instance looking in the military we were always uh, generals to the rest of the privates and sergeants of the performers mm -hmm. you know and one guy literally was like no this is not for me so I came over as a general Took him over as a general, got yeah. to the front doors and was like, yeah, totally get it, mate. Like, have fun. And he was like, I, I understand what's going on. I'm just not up for it. It was like, great. Have a great day. Off you go. <laughs> Come other, back when you're ready. Like, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Whereas yeah. other people just find some things hard to manage. So they totally, they were so over-enthusiastic audiences can be just as hard to handle. Yeah. Yes. So they hadn't yeah. listened to the instructions and they charged around the side to go into the installation rooms. And literally, we had to kettle them. We yeah, <laughs> were like, oh, 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 court martial, court martial. Yeah. Took them out to the front. And then actually just, they wanted to play. Yeah. So we just yeah. gave them a different exercise, yeah. like a backup yeah. exercise. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, it was, yeah, the over-enthusiastic ones are the hardest because they want it so bad. They want mm. to play so hard. And you, mm. I think there's an element where you kind of have to honour that. But yeah, in, no, a safe way, in, a, in a safe mm. way that's not I play um, musical chairs. I used to play musical chairs with my students in one of my kind of classes that I do mm. about immersion. And um, I don't anymore because some of the boys, I mean, you think children would be, but they are just so aggressive yeah. and, Competition, and competitive, really. but they want to play, but they want to play hard. So I've, had a, I've, had a, I've had a lot of <laughs> thoughts about this recently. Yeah, they just become yeah. wild, so I'm like, I can't play anymore. Work I've had is dangerous. a huge amount of thought into this recently, because like, and it goes back to the kind of core desire thing, but also in a lot of interactive immersive performance, you're challenged to survive or to yes. be the best. And actually, your ethical brain gets switched off. So yes. if you're being chased by zombies, yes. you will more often than not leave your friend behind. Be or easy. if you are, you know, <laughs> in a punk-drunk show, you have no issue with being like, by then, I'm off my own journey. Or pushing past the granny. Or pushing past yeah. the granny. Yeah. Because actually, you're, what, what you're, what's being tapped in, into is your core desires to succeed, survive, mm -hmm. uh, to, you know... To, yeah, to be competitive. And I think that overrides often people's ethic in the moment. And there are some things I think, um, I've been to zombie experiences, and so has Nigel, um, really extreme ones as well. And um, I was really surprised at my own body and mm. the fact that things, of course, I've had adrenaline before, but they're in situations that are kind of real world. Yeah. But I think your body in some of these can actually trick you into forgetting, yeah. or not even forgetting, but 
your body just takes over and does what your body does in those kind of it's situations. It's a fight or flight response. Absolutely. So denying it's the brain that. switching off. And yeah. denying yeah. that is really difficult, even if it's a simulated situation. It's instinct. You can't. Yeah. And I, yeah. I was so surprised at how... Getting in touch it, with your animal needs. Almost, yeah, it was so effective. We, we don't do it in modern day that actually, like, a playground to... to, yeah. to to be as, as alert in, the, yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. the different senses of what we're usually told within like the visual and the And maybe you don't know stuff like that as well. I found myself at the dumping <laughs> thing in a cupboard, breathing and just going, trying to remind myself, this isn't real. But when mm-hmm. I can hear people screaming <laughs> and the noise... It'd be the realest thing you've done a week. Yeah, <laughs> and I just, I couldn't help myself. But I surprised myself because I behaved in ways that was braver than I could ever anticipate. Yeah. I, was, I behaved in more ethical ways than I thought I would. Yet some of mm-hmm. the lads that I was with... At one point, there was this group of, I don't know, it must have been 18, 19 year old, grabbed me and pushed me in front of the zombies. <laughs> shame. Who said she was like, dead? I was like, shame oh, on you. Your mother's wow. spanking raw. That's wow. shocking. And, uh, yeah, so that, that <laughs> really surprised me. It was other people's behaviours that really surprised me. And I surprised myself at how I was, I kind of just took a lead and went, for the first sort of hour, I kept thinking, I feel like I'm going to die and I should probably leave because this is horrific. But then I kind of eased into feeling that kind of heightened sense <laughs> for that much time. Yeah. And then kind of went, actually, okay. And I found I behaved in ways that I really yeah. didn't expect at all. But I think that's when it becomes interesting, isn't it? Is when your body sometimes takes over. And I think especially when things, when you get put inside things and there's some things that are more visceral, in terms of you see there's another level too. of consent for me because it's kind of like there's you know the tactile but then also what you're intending to do mm. with the physiology of somebody but, the, but also yeah. these these sort of experiences are very explicit about what yeah they are you know you're gonna they go are. to the zombie thing if you go to the zombie thing and you're scared about being scared then yeah. you're, you're in the i kind show. of didn't want to go <laughs> but i thought i'm writing a book about immersion these are one of this is one of the big yeah things mm. I, I really wanted to go he had yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I really don't know if I want to do this, but actually, it was, it, it was all right. If you have to leave I us, don't worry. Thank you very much. Okay, so I'm going to go back. Yeah, I'm going to go back. Cool. Just Joe and Antigone. Bye. Okay, so who's left? Yeah, you should say who's left with us. Okay, so it's it's me, Joe and Antigone. Excellent. So actually, um, you've got quite a strong relationship. Um, with education and uh, with sort of um, academic context. And actually, we're here right now at Rose Bruford, which, of mm. course, is an, educa- uh, an educational institution. And you have been working with some of the students here mm. on a piece of work, which is Love, Inc., is that correct? Yes. Uh, an introduction to clean love. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've been doing while you've been here and about the kind of the show, mm. which actually I have experienced myself um, about an hour or so ago, maybe longer than that now, so I'm just still taking time for it to resonate. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, can you tell us a bit about what you've been doing here with Mm. students at Rose Bruford and the show that's kind of come out of that? Okay, so it's with the European Theatre Arts course um, and it's part of a module which is uh, Europe and 21st Century Practices. So um, this is the first time that this, I mean it's the second time because it's been a long time ago since they had interactivity as as an idea which is with Peder Kirk, but um, this idea of, of interaction, immersion, was something that is emerging as a European practice, really. Yeah. Um, so we were asked to come along and sort of teach the, 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 what our practices are, to develop ideas of structure, to develop ideas of um, archetypal characters, mm-hmm. and essentially place with to train these students in, I think, about seven weeks. into looking into how you do interactive work Um, and at the same time try and develop an idea for a show Um, (laughs) and these guys we've had with half of the year um, and they wanted to have a look at something along the lines of relationships and we watched a lot of materials that were looking into like um, um, how populations or how people are manipulated through different ideas through advertising uh, publicity, things like this. And so they wanted to okay, try to create a company of some sort. And Nat and I sort of played with them for a bit and we kind of looked at how love can be commodified. Um, and that was the original idea. Okay. Um, and kind of what it got to was actually looking at, at a self-help idea, like ideas of what is, a, what is the best way to improve yourself in society. 
So is it through individualism, trying to look at life goals, trying to make sure that you're secure and safe and that you're, you're doing well in life and then therefore others can also come along with you? Mm-hmm. Or is it about uh, being able to contribute to your community and actually improve the community as a whole? Um, and the students really kind of took to that and they really enjoyed that idea of, an, of a balanced argument something where you look at and you go yeah I agree with both of those like you need a bit of both Mm -hmm. but can we make a company that's sat on the extremes of those and get the audience to play as a focus group now all of the students here the production staff uh, production team um, the designers the performers have never seen or been to or performed in any interactive work (laughs) Um, so that was a challenge um, which, but is, like, which has also been the thing which has been so wonderful about it. Yeah. Um, so for instance, taking the you know, stage manager who's used to trying to call a standard show with a script, suddenly mm. I'm going, okay, cool, you've got eight rooms. Um, how are you going to call that show? Um, taking the production manager and took it to different sites and different places that we've been working and gone like, cool, this is kind of how it can work together. Yeah. Um, and deconstructing a theatre into a multi-room space, yeah. you know. And actually, it's been a lot of fun working with them, going, okay, mm-hmm. how do we work out an audience route? How do we make sure this audience gets to all these different places yeah. safely, yeah. Um, but also feels as if they're not being shunted around the space? Yeah. Um, and I feel like the work that they've actually created is... We, we split them out into groups and was like, okay, cool, this is your room. This is a stimulus for that room, mm-hmm. uh, but build something. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything that we were seeing was coming directly from the students. Yeah. Um, and it was some really beautiful work was starting to emerge. Um, and then some very ridiculous, fun work was also <laughs> emerging. But even things like, um, you know, right late in the process, uh, Chris, who plays Jake, the uh, well-being ambassador mm-hmm. added something in yesterday that it was just like I want to yeah. try this out and yeah. we're trying to play with that idea and was it after having that first audience yeah exactly. yeah. it's about we're trying to look at this idea of fluidity looking at this idea mm-hmm. of performer come designer come director come dramaturg mm-hmm. you know being their own editor well you know. this is the interesting thing isn't it about this kind of work and it's it's fairly challenging to teach uh, I guess you, you found that as well, it's to kind of like teach it because it's about an, an, an approach and an attitude and a process. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like giving them the tools and yeah. like teaching them how to care for the audience, how to guide the audience, so then the rest kind of falls into place like a, like a puzzle. Because yeah. I think like it's, for me, the most fascinating thing is like to witness this journey and like from the first day that I came here to have that question, which I really hate having that question of like, um, what is my character's motivation? <laughs> this is my personal pet peeve. <laughs> to seeing these, these these students now go through this and like, you know, on the spot, oh my God, I'm changing it. Yeah, mm. yeah. Just because the audience is not going with it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, where we've made, making huge changes every day. Yeah. You know, the first time we were able to get 64 people into the space, you know, it was yesterday, so it was like, okay, well, how do we change it for today? You know, and we're changing it now. And Natalie, that's when Natalie's just run off to, to go yeah, and do some more changes. Absolutely. You know, and actually, this in what there's a phrase which has come through a bit of our community, which is embracing the chaos. And actually, mm. it's reveling in that and enjoying yes. yeah. the chaos it, that the audience are going to bring to you and go, okay, what, what can I take from you and how can I manipulate and change this chaos? That to me is the exciting bit of making this kind of work, actually, is the energy and, uh, the unknown that kind mm. of comes from that chaos and that from that not knowing mm. and from that diving into something mm. it's kind of having that um i think which is really important in this work is like for the performer and the audience member to have like an um not an equal but have something at risk yes absolutely. and then kind of like discovering that each other like n- like mm. encountering each other in the space and seeing you know where are we? Well, there's something at stake, isn't there? For, exactly. For, and that's what excites me. And I, I don't think I could make work anymore that pretends that that, that, that pretends that there's people there that oh. I find that, that bizarre now. Yeah, I just yeah. can't imagine it because when you perform in traditional ways like that, the stakes are just for you, really. Yeah. And people just watch you. But what excites me about anything that's interactive, participative, or immersive is the stakes become for both of you, yeah. mm. and therefore you have all of you've got something to risk. 
and something to, to gain yeah. and potentially lose as well. And I think that's that's exciting. Mm. That excites me anyway. <laughs> yeah, so we work we work with the students a lot on structure, mm. uh, building flowchart structure, being able to put in. Uh, binary and non-binary choices, being able to know that they've got this solid foundation yeah. of something that they know they can come back to, yeah. that they've got, they know what type of questions they want to ask, they know what the set pieces are that are going to be in there, they know how to welcome people, mm-hmm. and then they get in the room, they sit down, they put it into the bottom drawer, they close it, and then they do something new. Yeah. And it's that thing of, okay, yeah. well, if it all goes wrong, I've got that, yeah. I've got that to play with. You know, and structure, especially in this show, has been hugely important. Being able to give them the confidence to to go crazy and to play and to do something new. Did they? Because I struggle with my students to, they are extremely resistant to trusting mechanics and rules in the first place, initially. They're always like, I don't trust, one, I'm going to be interesting enough just engaging in a task or a rule because Mm. I haven't done that kind of preparation in the same way that I would prepare a character. So they feel a bit exposed in that way, and I think that creates this kind of slight resistance towards trusting it. And then also they realise actually there's way more risk involved and way more investment involved mm. in operating in that way. And then once they get to trust the rules and they get to trust the mechanic and how mechanic can drive, mm. then they become fearful of how much investment when they realise yeah. suddenly how much investment actually they're giving in that. Yeah, because we were looking into a lot of, of task-based task based work was the first the first, first level, step, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and then moving into more complex structures, and then bringing in ideas of game mechanics. So they started mm. building massive games um, and testing them out and seeing if they would work. Yeah. Um, and actually, they they built the structures fair the structures of the installations fairly early on. Yeah. And um, what Joe did with them, which was beautiful, was look at this idea of shadow self. So all of their characters are based on the shadow self. Yeah. Something within them that is dormant that they can bring out yeah. you know for instance like Jarl um, Johan plays Jarl and, jo- and Jarl's character Jarl jo- Johan Jarl Jarl, Johan. <laughs> Jarl Jarl is you know arrogant yeah. he's in godlike he's in your face mm-hmm. you know and I'm speaking to Johan he's like yeah there's an element of that somewhere in me that's now come out yeah. so having this sort of this character which is essentially them to play with yeah. it's kind of moves that worries away mm-hmm. you know and what they're left with is this okay what am I trying to say mm-hmm. what is my meaning of my installation yeah. you know if I can push through this and it's going to be fine and like they they really sort of took to that quite early on mm-hmm. actually um, and really reveled in it we also played a lot of like okay guys go and see if you can screw up their installation yeah. go and yeah, be yeah. difficult yeah you know yeah. And, with each other. <laughs> and they they were really mean to each other, you know. Well, games are there. Games allow pushing, and games mm. allow any kind of mechanical game structure has the room to push and break the rules. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that they're the moments that become exciting and interesting, and sometimes they're the moments that do break it and disintegrate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there's like it was. Diff- I mean, some for some of them it was difficult pulling away from from traditional ideas of character. But also the UTA course, the European Theatre Arts course, is designed to explore alternative practices. So they spent three years looking at different different types of practices Mm -hmm. from all over Mm -hmm. Europe. So if we came in with a new one, you know, a contract that we made with them right at the beginning was trust it. Yeah, trust. Trust the process. And so they just threw themselves in and started to analyse it later. And that was a beautiful thing about working with European Theatre Arts at, Mm -hmm. at Rose Bruford is that they are just happy to try it yeah. and play within it. Um, and actually, this company, a lot of them have never worked with each other over three years. That's really exciting. Um, and coming at the end of the other side of the project, and they are a close network of mm-hmm. artists, individual artists onto one large show. Will you be... Is this work going to kind of stay in this context, or are you going to be moving Love Inc. kind of outside? Not too sure yet. Conversations are happening. Ah. Uh, <laughs> so I want to just talk very quickly about this. Um, what I think has become a, a ridiculous word and an empty word and a hugely problematic word, but is immersion. <laughs> <laughs> that word. What do you think about that term, and does it does it have a relationship to your work, or do you like mm. to talk about your work in that? I don't ways, think really? it is has a relationship to our work. I mean, we use the words interactive. participatory you know but I think when I think of immersive I think 
four of a million pound sets. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. I don't, and our work is not design led. It's about what's happening between the performer and the audience member. It's about uncovering a meaning together. Um, I don't, if the audience come in and they look, for instance, on that one, if they were looking at the chandelier the entire time, then I fail miserably. You know, because... The I did mention the chandelier. When I first came to yeah, space, like, I love that chandelier. Yeah. <laughs> but, the, the, but that space is essentially bare. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. You know, and it was about focusing on what are these, what are these performers, or what are these workshop leaders yeah. in this company doing with you? Well, the, I think for me, the interesting thing is, you know, those big expansive spaces will be there without you. Amy. Yeah, that, I was going to say that. Because yeah. for me, the word immersive doesn't necessarily mean I will get any interaction in it. Yeah, there's this weird assumption that immersion instantly means participative or interactive mm. and I or agency. And I don't think that is the case at no. all. Mm. And I think those big expansive spaces would exist without, well, very specifically without me. But actually, I think, like Lovink tonight, that couldn't have happened without me being... Not, weird without me being there without yeah, all of absolutely. us yeah. being there and absolutely. then in a minute it's going to be different again for another group of people who are going to be there and it won't be the same before and it's not going to ever be the same again exactly and that i think is exciting mm-hmm. but the problem is is we have to be realistic because we work in a in a situation that is needs requires marketing and producers and publicity and i think it's become this real kind of tag that gets put on things to be able to sell <laughs> tickets. No, my tax benefit. Yeah. Guerrilla immersion. That's no, why it's called Guerrilla immersion. Think about it. Nice. <laughs> but it is like, but also looking at the content that's now being built. Yeah. We're looking at a very uh, retrospective, um, nostalgic field. Um, I'm going to kind of say it and be, be honest about it. It's nostalgic white field. Yeah. If yeah. you have ideas of goosebumps, you have these ideas of. Alice in Wonderland, you know, yeah. like, um, yeah. and it's like it, it is nostalgic for a particular yes. generation. And actually, I'm interested to see where it's going to twist to. Yeah. I yeah. feel as if we're in the middle of something, but actually, what I, what I want to see is all those catfish underneath that yes, that absolutely. are really playing with something and really enjoying that tiny room mm-hmm. in the in a big uh, event in I don't know. Hackney somewhere, yeah. you know, those people that are yeah. trying to push a message or trying to push meaning into it, that's the exciting thing yeah, that's coming up. I also think that, like, you know, gameplay is really exciting. And what's nice about the gameplay guys is they've started to just use the real world, yeah. Um, yeah. and that's just as fun, yeah, but like, absolutely. we can't, this is a, th- a thing, we cannot, com- we cannot compete with people, the, the big tree, no, we can't, the big no, tree, which is that punch drunk. Um, Secret Cinema um, and Leon Fong. We can't compete with them on terms of budgets, in terms of look. We can't do it. (laughs) So actually it's about how do we play within the kind of the means of it all. And I think they have a much closer relationship to theatre. Yeah. Yeah. And to those audiences actually and to to because they're still an escapism. We're still entering into that aesthetically constructed fictive mimetic space where you don't really have a lot of agency and you don't really impact materially mm. but you can things. you can experience a beautiful world of course because you go and inside you can, it instead yeah. of like watching it they reach across pull you out your seat and let you in yeah and actually it's like i'm interested with the dark cupboard person that mm. you stumble past and they pull you in and you have end up being in there for you 15 do. 20 minutes some of the like best experiences i've had have been in toilet cubicles yes some of the things that have changed me yeah forever have happened in weird venues with strange people in toilets mm-hmm. and they didn't cost you know no. hundreds and thousands of pounds no. but they've changed me forever yeah because of they have a, a very different mm. kind it's of the, engagement. It's that experience, yeah. you know. Yeah. We learn from experiences. That couldn't have happened without me in that moment, no. with, in that exact moment, in that exact time, and will never happen again either, no. in, the same, in the same way. And for me, that is exciting. And there's a risk involved in that, that I really feel there's something genuinely at stake. And I think, for me, that's what excites me, that's what drives me. And I very much get that kind of sense in your work as well. And I think people are interested in gaming as well. People want to 
play. We don't have a lot of permission to play anymore yeah. as adults. <laughs> and I think people forget how to play as well because we're taught. We're, well, it, once you get out of junior school, everyone just goes right. We can't. Mm. It's, we're not playing anymore. Everything's really serious. And I think this kind of interaction and participation gives you a permission to play, which means you can discover things. Because yeah. play is dangerous. It's like Neil Neil Connolly. He he works with us. He's on a show. He's working. He creates a show called Lamplighters. Mm-hmm which he's written a spy thriller and essentially the idea is that the audience play out the flesh out the characters within the story using improvisation games so he's kind of taken this interactive idea and pulled it into a stage show idea that could happen on this table right now or it could happen on him being far away and playing it out but the audience having that ability to to change the, the course of a character because yeah. of the way they've improvised it. You know, beautiful scenes of a spy trying to tell his wife that he has to go to East Berlin, but he can't tell her why he's going and she knows why, but mm-hmm. she can't say, you know. Mm-hmm. And like yeah. the audience are fully engaged in it. And I think yeah. it's absolutely wonderful to see that type of work. Mm-hmm. You know, and it costs him, you know, it doesn't even need a table. Yeah. He just needs him. Yeah. And I really want to see more of that. Yeah, I really want to. See as well, isn't it? One on, literally one on one little mm. gorilla. <coughs> we can they cost nothing. We can mm-hmm. everything fits in a box and yeah, we can a take suitcase. it. And it happens. Yeah, <laughs> and it happens once eight people see it and we're gone. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind but of it, you know, but it's also a struggle to sell that because it's like yeah. I want to do a piece that, that looks at why people <laughs> make decisions on I don't know um, uh, their beach holidays and actually the effect that's having on the environment. Let's say yeah. In like oh I can't get funding for that. Um, <laughs> But I want to do it, you know. But you have so to phone your arts council for and how beneficiaries two. three. <laughs> You're like, I'm not going to get this funded. <laughs> yeah, but that I think more and more people are looking at that and being interested in yes. that. And and actually, like for instance, the show now being able to place because we have those those skills now from the from the earlier work. Yeah, we can now put it put it into the show and actually enrich it and give it a space yeah. to, to do. Um, and you said earlier about the event event based world, you know, they they're starting to do that as well. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think it's it's pulling these beautiful threads together. Mm-hmm. You know, even in terms of medicine, are starting to look into I it. Know. And like, it's it's a it's a great, very, very exciting time. Yeah, and mental well being and mental health as well. I've been to a few That's things that are starting to use those kind of interactive things as therapy, which I think is again really interesting and really exciting because it's about ethics and agency so mm. I guess it was only a matter of time before those things sort of seeped out from under the red curtain which is what always happens isn't it <laughs> kind of leached across okay so um, I don't want to keep you for too much longer because I know mm, you've got lots I know you've got loads of things going on so <laughs> what is next for Lab Collective mm. I know I've got loads of people listening who are probably thinking right I want to get and see a piece of your work or see see is that ridiculous term isn't it Participating? Are you like? I don't know. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Mm. Difficult, mm. Question. Difficult question. <laughs> um, I said. I said we've got a lot of Greenfield festivals come back up. Of course. Okay. Okay. Looking towards Boomtown next year. Yeah. I think it'll be fun. Um, so that's something to definitely come along to. Are you often at the fly pit? Are people yeah, welcome yeah. to knock and say Please hello? Do. Don't down. even have to knock, just yeah, open yeah. the door. Uh, <laughs> uh, but of course, okay, the, the lighthouse okay, in January, January the 10th, if you want to pop down, that'd Great. be wonderful. Um, but also, we're just sort of yeah, gearing up for a few different projects. I can't give any more points. No, no, sure. I totally understand. Secrecy <laughs> is often really important. Where is usually best for people to keep abreast of information? Yeah, it's always looking at the website. The website. And do you yeah. have a Facebook page as yeah, well? Facebook, yeah, Facebook, Twitter's, you know, the lots, really. Excellent. So, yeah, so just check out. It's usually, uh, say, at Lab Collective. Um, Perfect. Or just the Lab Collective on Facebook, really. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to me. I know you're really busy. You've got all those students that are about to go and do another performance now. So And we've got to get all the way back to Portsmouth. Right, yeah, so um, yeah. I will let you guys get on and we will head off home but thank you so much for talking uh, to me thank you pleasure. I really appreciate it absolute pleasure thank you Thank you for listening. Um, I really hope you enjoyed that episode. A little bit different with a, a nice group chat. So that was great. As usual, please do share away with friends, colleagues and anyone you think might be interested. Uh, get in touch. I love to hear from you, whether it's feedback, questions, comments or just to tell me where you're listening from or how you heard about us. Everything is all good. I love to hear from everybody. Things are wildly hectic here in the Tate homestead. 
with lots of really exciting content coming up. So the best way not to miss out on any of that is to make sure that you're subscribed because there's going to be lots of bits and bobs additional to the normal monthly episode coming up in the next sort of eight weeks or so. Uh, in March and April, I'm going to be working really closely with CoLab Theatre to bring you news and inside access to everything that's happening in their up and coming season of immersive work. So keep your ears open for that because there's hopefully going to be some special episodes and some special additional content. Uh, my performance company, Vertical Exchange Performance Collective, or VEX for short, is going to be having a piece of work in that season. I'm not going to give much away at this stage, but keep listening to find out some more about that very soon. And of course, we are now in the lead up to the Brighton Festival and the Brighton Fringe Festival. I'm actually going to be working really closely with the Brighton Fringe Festival to bring you news, access and developments about immersive, interactive and participatory work that's going to be happening across the festival. Again, Vertical Exchange Performance Collective are going to be having a piece that's happening in the Brighton Fringe Festival. And again, I'm not going to give too much away, but the best way to keep in touch and to catch up and not miss out on anything is to make sure that you're subscribed across our social media uh, on iTunes and on SoundCloud. So keep in the loop so you don't miss any of these exciting things. So until next month or maybe sooner, who knows, unless you're subscribed, you're not going to be able to uh, find out. Goodbye.